A high suicide rate and battlefield stress plague our soldiers returning from Iraq. What do civilian doctors need to know about treating patients involved in the military? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sharon Freeman. She is the senior editor of In Harm's Way, a psychological treatment handbook for pre- and post-deployment. Welcome. Hi, Leslie. Thank you. It's really exciting to be here. Dr. Freeman, it's great to have you again. Is there a bigger mental health problem in the returning Iraqi soldiers than we have previously seen in other situations? I believe there is. This is the first time that we've had soldiers that have been deployed multiple times to the same situation. It's also the first time we've seen our soldiers deployed for a series of months without a break, uh, where in the past wars, they have had a three-month tour, and then they've been given a uh, break into either a nearby area or out of country, and then toured back in, where in the Iraq and Afghanistan uh, deployment areas, they are in country or in theater for a year or more at a time without a break out of a combat situation. So these high chronic stress situations are really taking a toll on our soldiers. You have talked about cultural competence in this setting of treating these soldiers. What do you mean by that? Well, I I would like to point out that this is an entirely different culture. We look at cultural competence when it comes to ethnicity, and we haven't looked at cultural competence when it comes to the culture of the military, looking at soldiers that are being indoctrinated into rules, regulations, wearing uniforms, um, having a hierarchy, um, understanding what each other's roles and responsibilities might be in their own uh, system, in their own country, if it would be. Uh, Even though they are United States citizens, they really have their own world separate from the civilian life. So the civilians that treat them need to understand uh, what their culture is like. What is the military culture and what does that mean? How can we best learn? Well, the best way to learn is if you're going to be treating the military, you should know what the rules are, what are the regulations, what are the expectations of a military individual, uh, what is normal for somebody in the military, and um, is it the same as normal in the civilian world. For example, I had a young woman in this morning who is a Black Hawk pilot, and she is uh, reintegrating back into the civilian world, and she was describing a situation where she's at a wedding reception, and she said, I just feel like I'm really weird. I, I don't know how to have a conversation. I don't know how to talk to people. I feel like I'm in a fog. I think that, you know, I was in this false pretense of socialization, and I I just don't think people understand me. And in having the conversation with her in therapy, she was in one culture where everybody understood each other, everybody wore the same uniform, everybody had a commonality, and that was the Army. They all understood each other from the perspective of Army. And now she's in a social situation where she doesn't know where the commonalities come from. And that's very, very uncomfortable for her. 
it feels foreign. She's in a foreign land, even though she's in the United States again. Well, and certainly I would think their their language is different, the abbreviations, the lingo, that sort of thing. Oh, all the abbreviations. The, it's very different. She came from the civilian world, went into the Army, coming back out into the civilian world again, but it's still very foreign to her. Now, most of these patients are, are treated by military uh, medical people or, or maybe the VA. Why should those of us in civilian practice need to worry about this? Now, you would think that that would be true. However, it isn't necessarily so. Uh, family members often seek private treatment, and many of the military seek private treatment. The reason for that is that uh, they're concerned about the stigma, uh, especially in the world of behavioral health, uh, psychiatric care, mental health, because if they're treated for a psychiatric condition, depression, anxiety, PTSD, they're worried about whether it'll affect their job, their ability to return to the military. They're worried about whether they will be prevented from being deployed if they are, for example, on leave or if they are um, rotating out of a deployment situation. They're now uh, in the United States. Um, getting marriage counseling or going through a divorce and they're depressed uh, and their unit is going to be deployed again in eight months, for example, they don't want to go to a military setting. They want to go to a private setting where their privacy is guaranteed. So they are being seen in civilian settings and we need to know how to protect their privacy, how to treat them, and we have to understand the military system in order to get them through these situations. And we can't have, especially when it comes to medications, a knee-jerk response because it could have devastating consequences to these soldiers. What are those consequences? Well, for example, uh, if uh, a soldier is wanting to return to the military, they cannot have certain medications uh, on board. They can't be taking antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, or it could prevent them from returning to military active duty. Uh, there are certain medications pilots cannot take. Um, if you go to uh, the FAA rules and guidelines, even commercial pilots cannot fly if they've been diagnosed with uh, mental health problems and they are prescribed psychotropic medications that would include your basic antidepressant. And it could ground them for life. And we've had pilot suicide over the loss of their careers because they were treated for depression. So we have to be very, very careful that we really understand what the culture is and what the consequences are of thinking that we're dealing with a civilian and know all of the nuances of the life that we're dealing with here. And, and think it through very carefully and educate this individual on what the consequences are when we're talking about treating depression, treating anxiety. We may need to do this with cognitive behavior therapy and work it through with psychotherapy first before we start talking medication. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sharon Freeman. We were discussing what you need to know to treat the military. Now, Sharon, how can we find out about what medicines are allowed and what aren't? The good news is, given uh, the availability of information on the Internet, you can go to sites such as 
www.veteransforamerica.org and put in keywords such as medications, mental health, and find a recent article on uh, medications for mental health that talks about which of these medications or, or mental health guidelines are out there right now, psychiatric medications. Uh, there's an article written June of 07 that discusses the recent guidelines. There's also um, a 200 and some page document put out by the Department of Veterans Affairs through the National Center for PTSD that discusses the different guidelines and echelons of treatment for the soldiers and which medications may or may not be appropriate. Um, but uh, if you're dealing with pilots, for example, uh, the uh, guidelines might be available through the FAA because the FAA will ground pilots based on some of the same guidelines that the Army might use. So there, there is a way to find this information. You just have to be a smart clinician if you're going to be looking on your own. Uh, a better way is if you're going to be treating the military, you need to get military training by spending some time talking with members in the military and uh, doing your own education. This is one of the reasons why we're writing the, the book about treating individuals in the military, the Psychological Treatment Handbook, because if you don't have something in hand, you're going to have to go out there and find it piecemeal in many, many places. But a lot of this is available on the Internet. If you don't have access to it, you should not be treating our, our military members. How can we protect their confidentiality? Luckily, we still use our HIPAA rules. The federal government is protecting confidentiality that way. In the civilian setting, that's an automatic. If a soldier is seen through the um, VA system, then their confidentiality is not protected, which is why many soldiers do seek private treatment. Uh, that way they're guaranteed confidentiality. Many soldiers are not aware that there's treatment available through the vet centers, and that is a different avenue for treatment. The vet centers do guarantee confidentiality. They can receive very good counseling, therapy, and resources through their vet centers across the United States, and that's a very confidential way of getting some assistance for these problems. So if we ourselves don't feel comfortable treating them, that would be a good referral source? That's an excellent referral source for okay. the military. What other issues do we need to be aware of if we do treat, let's say, family members of the military? With the family members, there are um, a number of nuances that uh, we need to be aware of. And the first one is to assess for abuse in the family. Uh, there's a study that recently came out uh, that was published in the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association that looked at about 1,800 uh, military family members and unfortunately discovered that I think it was 100% of these family members experienced an increase in emotional and or physical abuse in the families when there was a soldier deployed. So during deployment time, due to stress, due to depression in the family being left behind, due to lack of resources, that these families had a 42% higher rate of having abuse in that family while that soldier was gone. That's 
pretty alarming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you would just make that as regular a regular question that you would ask all of them? I would screen everyone that comes through my door that has a, a military member, whether they are deployed or whether they are going to be deployed for their support systems. Unfortunately, most of our soldiers live below the poverty level. And as you know, poverty and stress and abuse are a triad that are an ugly monster that in the United States we still have not figured out how to deal with or how to successfully cope with. Uh, thank you so much for your, for your tips and help today, Dr. Freeman. You're very welcome. We've been discussing cultural competence in treating mental health problems in military personnel with Dr. Sharon Freeman. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.